You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Morning, church. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Hill City Church. I'm so excited to be continuing the I Am teaching series. We're exploring uh, the seven I Am statements in the Gospel of John. When John wrote uh, this gospel about Jesus, one of his primary concerns is that there would be no doubt by the end of reading it who Jesus is. One of his main goals is that we would dive deeper into the nature and the identity of Jesus Christ. So in week four right now, which is halfway through, right, seven weeks, uh, but really this is kind of part two of a teaching from last week. So if you missed last week, I would highly encourage you, all of our uh, teachings are on YouTube, they're on the website, they're on uh, podcast, Uh, you can go back and catch that, but we are going to be jumping in halfway through a teaching from Jesus in John 10. So if you have a Bible, you can open to John 10, we will be in John 10. Uh, today. Last week, Jesus introduced us to the I am statement, I am the door. He's the entry point. He's the access. He's how we get into God's kingdom. And today he will continue the same metaphor by the second I am statement in John 10, which is I am the good shepherd. So let me just uh, refresh your imaginations. Here's a picture of a shepherd and sheep, okay? So this is the picture that Jesus wants us to have in mind, a shepherd leading the sheep. And if it helps, you can actually, if you can see, our stained glass right there, is the, this is a depiction of Jesus as the good shepherd. So if you're in a seat where you can see it, one of the largest stained glass uh, pictures here in the church building is Jesus as the good shepherd. It's one of my favorite places to sit in the balcony and pray, actually, in the middle of the week when no one's uh, in this room, to just know and to see the light shining through the window, right? Uh, but Jesus, really, this is a lesson on leadership. When he says, I am the good shepherd, you might actually hear Jesus saying these words instead of, I am the good shepherd, I am a leader worth following. I am a leader worth following. Jesus is really contrasting him as the shepherd and overseer of our souls, the right leader, the good shepherd, versus these other forms of leadership, these false visions, these false archetypes, these bad shepherds, these bad leaders that we encounter in the world. And for us at Seal City Church, this is a big deal. Our vision statement as a church is following Jesus with what? With everything. Some of you have been on the website. You've, you've seen this. Following Jesus with everything because he first loved us. And so when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, this is really a statement that invites us to respond by following him with everything. And I just wanna invite you, maybe, maybe if you're here and you have yet to put your faith in Jesus Christ, I hope and I pray that you would hear the voice of Jesus as we read from John 10 today, and that you would get one step closer to following Jesus, to committing your life to Christ. And for you, if you're here and you're already a follower of Jesus, I hope that you would get one step closer to following him with with everything, because the reality is, no matter how long you've gone to church, how long you've been a disciple of Jesus, there's always ways that we can follow him more. 
to follow him with everything, that life is this adventure, this journey with Jesus, and he's, he, he's calling us and leading us to what he has next. So with that in mind, let's jump into our teaching. Again, we're gonna be jumping in halfway through John chapter 10. We're in John 10, starting in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus in John 10 has given us five different kinds of bad leaders. And I just wanna review. Three of them we saw in last week's teaching. We see the other two here. There are five kinds of bad leaders. The first kind is a thief. There's sneaky thieves. That's what makes a thief a thief, right? They're the ones who are climbing over the wall, trying to take, trying to steal from the sheep. But you may not know it. In other parts of scripture, in Matthew 7, these are described as wolves in what? In sheep's clothing. Maybe you've met a sneaky thief before. It's a kind of leader who, on the surface, they're trustworthy, but they have ulterior motives. They have a hidden agenda. They don't have your best interests at heart. They're actually trying to use and abuse you. The second kind of bad leader is the robber. There are forceful robbers. See, robbers and thieves both wanna take from the sheep. They both wanna cause damage and harm, but they go about it different ways. The thief uses stealth, the robber uses force. Robber's not climbing over the fence. He's busting down the fence, okay? The forceful robber is the kind of leader who doesn't care who gets hurt in the process as long as they get their way. Have you met a forceful robber before? The third kind of bad leader that Jesus introduced us to is the distant stranger, this is the person who calls to the sheep to follow, but he said that the sheep don't recognize that person's voice because they are distant. They don't really know the people that they're leading, and the people that they're leading don't really know them, which leads us to this idea of uh, leadership should be personal. How are you gonna lead people the right way if you don't even know them, if you don't even know their needs, if you're so isolated and distant from them? The fourth bad leader that Jesus introduced us to is the hired hand. And these are the self-seeking hired hands. What are they in it for? They're not in it for the, the, the good of the sheep. They're in it for the money. They're in it for the money. They're hired. They're in it for themselves. This is the kind of leader who, once again, at first glance, they might seem like the kind of person who's gonna get the job done. But as soon as danger comes, as soon as the wolf shows up, what happens? They flee. When they are needed the most, they flee because they're not ultimately in it. They don't actually care about the sheep. They, uh, who's the only person they care about? Themselves. And then the fifth kind of bad leader is the most obvious one. It's the evil wolves. It's the evil wolves. This is not a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's a wolf in wolf's clothing. <laughs> These are the obvious bad guys the kind of leaders that you would look at in the world and you would say, how can anyone in their right mind follow that person? They're obviously evil. This leader is out to hurt people and, and they're, they're upfront about it. See, the reality is we don't wanna be like any of these five kinds of bad leaders. If God has entrusted you with any kind of leadership, 
parenting a child is leadership. If you have you know, leadership responsibility at work or you know, just, just influence with people, we don't wanna be like these five different kinds of leaders. We wanna be like Jesus, right? So we can, we can learn not to be like those leaders and we wanna be like Jesus, but ultimately this is a lesson for us not in our own leadership, it's actually a, a question for us, are you following those kinds of people? Have you been led astray by those kinds of people? I mean, we'd like to think that we're good judges of character, but it makes me think of uh, this cartoon that was run in the New York Times uh, from, from Paul Noth, right here. It's a picture of sheep. It was run a few years ago. Most of the sheep are off there, you know, they're off kind of doing whatever they're doing. And who's running for uh, the leadership role there? A wolf and his campaign slogan, I am going to eat you. But then what does one sheep say to the other sheep? Well, at least he tells it like it is. And the reality is, so like we, we'd like to think that we're, we're really good judges of character, but the reality is, oftentimes we've fallen for bad leaders. And we say things like, well, you know, the end justifies the means. And we will turn a blind eye, even to the point where someone's up front with their motives, their flaws, their sins, their lack of good character, their lack of judgment is obvious. We turn a blind eye to all of that. We justify them. We get behind them. We endorse them. We lift them up. And we can be like that sheep. Well, at least they tell it like it is. And we can find the one good thing about those kinds of leaders. Jesus is warning us not to follow bad leaders. Now, the, uh, the alternative for many people, though, is to say, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I've been hurt by bad leaders before. I'll never let it happen again. I guess the only person I can trust is myself. You can't trust anyone else. You can only trust yourself. And this is, this is really the idea of the rejection of any and all kinds of leaders, Right When we've been wounded, when we've been bitten by the wolf before, you know, we, we, we kind of feel like the only person that is reliable enough is myself. But here's the problem with that. Human beings have this deep cry in our heart to be led by someone who's trustworthy. This is built into us in creation. In fact, you look back to Genesis chapter three, you, you might say that the original sin, Adam and Eve's sin, was fundamentally a distrust of God as being leader. You know who's a better leader than God? Me. That's, that's the ultimate lie of the enemy, right? Is don't you think you'd be better off to just make your own rules, determine your own direction? Isn't it Jeremiah that wrote the heart above all things is deceitful? I think about Isaiah 53, this, this messianic prophecy from Isaiah where he says, all we, all of us like sheep Notice the, this, the metaphor there, like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. What do you call a sheep without a shepherd? Lunch. <laughs> Lunch for a wolf. And I know we'd like to think that we're not sheep. I know maybe you've heard that, uh, that new term that's been coined in recent years, sheeple. Have you seen that online? Hashtag sheeple. Don't look up that hashtag, by the way, because you're gonna find an endless stream of conspiracy theories of people who criticize the masses and reject any and all leadership because I'm not like the sheeple. I'm not like 
You know, I'm not so easily led astray, but the reality is what often we can find ourselves we can find ourselves, if we're not consciously following a worthy leader, we're subconsciously following the social media algorithms. And pretty soon, the only kind of posts we see are the ones that we respond to, the ones that we comment on, and all of a sudden, we, just like sheep, left on their own, have gone astray. Significantly, Jesus calls us sheep. He calls us sheep. And it's, I think, a very important metaphor for us to recognize is that sheep, out of all of the different kinds of livestock, require the most meticulous hands-on care by a human, (laughs) by a human leader. Left on their own, they will get lost, they will go hungry, they will get eaten by wolves. And so the solution is not found in false leaders, and the solution is not found in ourselves. The solution is found where? It's in the good shepherd. Let's continue as Jesus points us to a different kind of leader. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one Shepherd, what makes the good shepherd so good? Notice Jesus does not only say, I am a shepherd or even I am the shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd, okay? What makes him so good? Well, the first thing is he's good as opposed to the bad leaders, okay? So this is a contrast. So in contrast to the sneaky thieves, look at what Jesus says in John 8, 32. In contrast to the sneaky thieves, Jesus is truthful. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, you gotta read that in context. When Jesus says you will know the truth, he's not talking about truth as an abstract idea, truth in general, just the pursuit of knowledge as it is written in you know, many universities, right? He's talking about himself as the authoritative truth. When you become his disciple, you will know the truth. You will know him and the truth will set you free. He's open, he's honest, he is the source of truth. In contrast to the forceful robbers, Jesus' invitation to follow him in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, in, in, in contrast to force, he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. He's full of truth. He's full of humility and gentleness. In contrast to the distant strangers, he says, uh, or this is said about him in John four twenty nine. The woman at the well that he meets, look at what she says. Come see a man who told, told me all that I ever did. Do you realize Jesus knows that about you? He knows that about this woman who he's had a 15-minute conversation with. And she said, the thing that she's most amazed with, now the things that Jesus recounts to her is actually her own sins. And yet she is just astounded how intimately he knows her and yet he still engages her in relationship. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. He's not a distant stranger, he's intimate, he's personal. In contrast to the self-seeking hired hands, Jesus says this in Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man, in a reference to himself, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's not in it for himself. 
He's not in it for the paycheck. He's not in it for the money. He's actually in it for your benefit, for your sake, to lay down his life for you. In contrast to the evil wolves, in 1 John, again, written by the Apostle John, 1 John 2, 1, this is what he says of Jesus. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. This is not an evil wolf. This is Jesus Christ the righteous one. He's an advocate. He's not trying to steal, kill, and destroy. He's trying to seek and save. He's trying to heal. He's trying to help. He's trying to feed. He wants to lead you in your life. So what makes the good shepherd so good? Well, he's not a bad leader. He's not like those other crooks. The second thing that makes Jesus good is he's good in the fullest sense of the word. The Greek word for good and good shepherd is kalos. And it can be translated not only as good, you know, how are you doing? Good, right? That can seem like a little bit of a flat answer, but the Greek word kalos is a better word than that. It actually means excellent, praiseworthy, beautiful, magnificent, okay? This is like good, okay? Really good. He is, he is the ultimate good shepherd. It makes me think of when the rich young ruler approached Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you remember what Jesus answered him with initially? He said, why do you call me good? Don't you know that there is no one good except God alone? Now, when Jesus responded that way with the rich young ruler, notice he was not correcting him. He was pointing out how correct he was. Do you see that? He was not correcting him. I'm not good, only God is good. He was actually saying, no, 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 do you realize what you're saying? Because it's more true than you actually realize. No one is good but God alone, and Jesus Christ is the ultimate good shepherd. He is the son of the living God. The third reason why Jesus is good is because Jesus has a good mission and a good vision. That's what we measure a a leader by, isn't it? Not only their own leadership capabilities, do they have the right stuff, right? Do they have what it takes to be a good leader? But are they actually leading us the right direction? What's your mission statement? What's your vision, right? And Jesus, he has a mission. He's got a mission. His mission is to seek and to save the lost. He's just said it in John 10. It's not just in it for the sheep that are already saved, that they're already in the door, right? That's a manager, someone who's only taking care of the ones who are there in the enclosure. He says, I have other sheep out there and, and, and I've got to go find them. They've got to hear my voice. They've got to come to me. They, I've got to bring them back in here. He's talking about the non-Jewish people. He's talking about the Samaritans. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about the Great Commission to go into all the earth and preach the gospel so that everyone can hear him, so that anyone can have an opportunity to know him. I read from Ezekiel 34 last week where uh, God tells the prophet Ezekiel to speak a word of judgment, a prophetic word of judgment over the false shepherds, the bad leaders of Israel. I didn't get to the end of uh, the chapter in Ezekiel 34, but at the end, God actually promises, prophetically promises, that he's gonna have to step in and do the job himself. Look at what it says in Ezekiel 34, 15 and 16. God says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. 
I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophet, prophetic promise to be the good shepherd, to be the one who seeks and saves. What do you call a shepherd without sheep? In the hands of Jesus, just another lost sheep waiting to come home because he's out there, he's searching. The reality is for us in our lives, Jesus doesn't invite us in just so we can enjoy being in, but he actually leads us back out. When you follow Jesus, he leads you to the lost. He leads you to the lost because if you're following the shepherd properly, you're going to go wherever the shepherd goes. And the shepherd does not just stay there. He actually leaves the 99 to go out into the wilderness to, to find the lost. And I just wanna invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, to join him in his mission to seek and to save the lost. Easter's coming up, and, uh, and it's one of the greatest opportunities we have to uh, invite people, invite people who might otherwise be antagonistic or maybe even hostile to the idea of you know, attending a church service to going to a worship gathering. There's just an openness around holidays like Christmas and Easter. And I just wanna tell you as a church, I'm so proud of you. Uh, for Christmas Eve in last December, we had over a thousand people here. It's our largest worship gatherings we've ever had at our, uh, at our Christmas Eve worship gatherings. And I ask people, when I meet them for the first time. How did you hear about our church? How did you hear about our church? And it's cool. Like if you found us through Google, that's great. Glad you're here. The spirit works in mysterious ways. <laughs> Sometimes Google, you know? But the reality is, on Christmas Eve last year, I want to say almost every single person that was new that I met, when I said, how did you hear about our church? How did you come to our church? It wasn't Google. It wasn't our marketing strategies, they would just point, that person invited me. That person invited me. It was not just an algorithm. It was not just even like mailers. This is marketing. We, we set, and we're not gonna stop doing that, by the way, right? We're gonna send out over 2,000 of these, you know, invite cards. It's to our neighbor. You know, we want the neighborhood to know, like, you're invited, you're welcome. We're gonna, we're gonna do that, right? But here's what else we're gonna do. We're gonna give invite cards. And these things we don't mail out. These things have to be in your hands for you to make a personal invitation. And I would love, and, and, and again, if you found us through Google, you found us through a mailer, like we're so glad you're here, but I would love to hear hundreds, thousands more stories of people who would point to you and say, that's the person who invited me in. Did you get one of these? Can you show me if you got one of these this morning? Okay. If you don't have one, we have literally thousands of these all around. And I would love for you to pick one of these Easter invite cards up and keep it in a place where it's gonna be on you, in your wallet, in your purse, in, the, in a cup holder. So every time you go to use the cup holder, you're like, ah, there's that card I still need to hand out. And to be praying over the person that God wants you to give this, even just one, even just one. But for you, if you've got multiple names, if you've got that bookmark of 10 people you're praying for, would you not only pray for the lost, but would you invite them in? That might be the first way that someone hears the voice of Jesus is actually through your welcoming voice as a representative of Jesus Christ. Let's continue through 
the text, there's one more significant thing that it means for Jesus to be good. John 10, verse 17, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Repetition is significant when you're reading scripture. And Jesus has said one line time and time and time again in our teaching text. Have you caught it? I lay my life down. And out of all the other reasons why Jesus is a leader worth following, why he is a good shepherd, this is the greatest, this is the foremost, that he laid down his life for you on the cross. In John 15, Jesus would say this to his disciples, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And he's talking to his disciples about what he would do on the cross. And what's significant about John's gospel is almost uniquely what we see is Jesus is not portrayed as a helpless victim, but as a victorious savior. Do you see that? No one takes it from me. I have the authority. His life is not ripped away from him. He is the one who has laid it down. And you see this start to finish of the passion narrative. The passion narrative is, is the suffering narrative. From the moment that Jesus is in the upper room, the devil has entered into Judas Iscariot. He's put it in his heart to betray Jesus, to sell him out. Jesus knows this has taken place. And he says to Judas, do what you must. He doesn't try to stop him. He doesn't try to talk him out of it. He actually releases him. He lets him go because he knows this is the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption, right? In Gethsemane, when he's praying, he submits to the Father's will. He's in agony. He's sweating drops of blood. When the soldiers show up and and Jesus goes before them, he doesn't run away. He doesn't say, quick, hide. He actually, he knocks them back by his upfrontness. Who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus. I am the one you seek. And he hands himself over. They're not taking him against his own will. He, he gives himself. The high priest, the false trial that night on, Good for, uh, on, on Thursday night, when he's got all these accusations, he is silent as he stood accused. And the next morning in front of Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who has the authority to send him to his death or to release him, actually it blows his mind. Why aren't you standing up for yourself? Why aren't you, why aren't you pleading your case? Why, don't, why do you stand there still? And then Pilate says this line, significantly in the Gospel of John. Pilate says, don't you know I have the authority? I have the power? And what does Jesus say? You would have no authority except that which was given to you from above. Who's really, who really has the authority in that situation? Where's the power dynamics? From an earthly sense, Pilate has all the authority. But in the kingdom sense, Jesus says, you have no idea. You don't really understand the power dynamics at play here. To the point where Jesus is suffering and dying on the cross for hours at a time. And one of the thieves looks at him, right? ridiculing him. People are crying out to him. Why doesn't he save himself, right? He claims to save others. Why can't he even save himself from this death? And then Jesus significantly in Luke 23, 46 says this, 
Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands, what does he say? I commit my spirit. I give you my spirit. It's not taken from him. Having said this, he breathed his last. To his dying breath, Jesus is in total control over what's taking place on Good Friday. No one takes his life from him. He gave it for you. That is the ultimate sense in which Jesus is the good shepherd. He laid down his life for you. He's not a helpless victim. He's a victorious savior. And on the third day, he rose again, conquering, defeating sin, death, and the devil, and proving that he was in total control the entire time. Amen? Amen. Amen. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. And for you, I just wanna invite you you're not gonna find a better leader than that. You're not gonna find a savior who, can, who actually has the power to forgive your sin and save you from death itself. Something else that, that Jesus means when he says this line, I lay down my life, is actually each time in John 10 that it's recorded, it's present active indicative, which for you, if you know your grammar and all of that stuff, it, what it essentially means is it could be translated not only as I lay down my life, it's not a mistranslation, but more literally, it can be translated, I am laying down my life. Ongoing action, right? Present active indicative. It's I'm always laying down my life, which means that likely Jesus certainly has in mind what he's going to do on the cross, right? He certainly means that, that the good shepherd did this ultimate sacrifice once and for all. But what it also means is that Jesus, ongoing, is continuously laying down his life for you. Like I mentioned, shep uh, that sheep need ongoing meticulous care. We need constant care, constant leadership, constant guidance in our life. One of the books I read in Bible college is A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. It was written by uh, Philip Keller, who not only was a pastor, but he also grew up as a shepherd. So he, he has this unique, you know, he, he did both roles. He shepherded sheep and then he pastored sheep, like people, you know, you, right? And uh, this is what he says after he got his very first flock, it was actually during uh, uh, economic hardship and he, you know, he, sold, you know, he, he used all of his money to get his first flock, his first group of sheep that he had. And he was like, I purchased them, right? I purchased them with my blood, sweat, and tears. That's what Jesus has done for us on the cross. But it's not only this initial purchase, this bringing us in. Look at what he woke up to the reality of. Philip Keller says this in this book. But the day that I bought them, I also realized that this was but the first stage in a long-lasting endeavor in which from then on, I would, as their owner, have to continually lay down my life for them if they were to flourish and prosper. Do you know that that's what Jesus is doing for us? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's advocating for us. He doesn't only want to be your savior. He also wants to be your shepherd, your leader. He wants to lead you and guide you in your life. So here's what I would say. I know we say this all the time, follow Jesus with everything, but here's what I would say for today. Follow Jesus every day. How often do you need God's guidance in your life? If you're honest, you would say every day. Every day. If you wanna say yes to the life that God has for you, you need to be walking by the Spirit every single day. You need to be hearing the voice of the good shepherd every single day. 
Not only does Jesus say that, you know, true love is laying down his life for his friends, but the very next verse, he also says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. How do we know that we're truly following Jesus? He's got commands for us. That's what a shepherd does, right? A shepherd is leading the sheep. Oh, don't go that way. Calling them back, calling them back, leading them, guiding them, feeding them, caring for them, protecting them. Where's Jesus leading you in life? Monday morning, where's he leading you? How are you gonna know if you're not spending that time in prayer, spending that time in God's word, listening to the voice of the shepherd, connecting with them? For you, if you've been following false leaders more than you've been following Jesus, it's time to lose those leaders and say yes to Jesus and follow Jesus in your life. If you've gone astray, maybe you've been following yourself You've been listening to your heart as culture tries to convince us we should do. Repent, turn away from the ways that you've gone astray and come back home to the good shepherd. After Jesus' teaching, we see the response of his audience. Again, his audience is primarily the Jewish leaders. In John 10, 17, just wrapping up, or John John 10, 19, wrapping up the text for today. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and he's insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon and can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, this is one of the paradoxes of Jesus is we know that Jesus desires unity. In John 17, he prays for unity of his people. We know that he, his vision, right? What is his vision? His vision is for there to be one flock with one shepherd, all united. And yet, as is often the case, Jesus makes exclusive claims. And his words, they don't create unity. What do they create? They create division. It's one of the paradoxes of following Jesus. He does not leave us an option to stay in neutral ground. The works of Jesus, his miracles, namely his resurrection, but also the words of Jesus, the claims that he made. Is is he really the good shepherd? Is he really the light of the world? Is he really the bread of life? Is he really the door, the only door, the only way to God? He doesn't leave you with the option to stay neutral. And so there's these two responses that we see among the Jewish leaders. One, people call him a demon-possessed. They say he's insane. In John chapter nine, they say he's a sinner because he healed someone on the Sabbath. Is that what you think of Jesus? I mean, I guess it's not a neutral opinion. It's a pretty strong reaction to a strong leader. But then there's another side who kind of argues with them and says, well, I don't know. I've met an insane person before. His words don't really sound insane. In fact, they almost sound like they're the wisest teachings we've ever heard. I've met demon-possessed people before. Demons typically afflict people. I've never met a demon-possessed person who actually healed someone, right? And so this other side starts to make a lot of sense. And some some of those leaders in that crowd start to be convinced. But really, John records their reaction to really put it in our court. And I just wanna ask you this question. We've heard Jesus' teaching from John 10. I wanna ask you this question. Are you in? 
Are you in? Jesus is making the claims to be the only true leader that is worth following, the ultimate leader worth entrusting. And when I say following, I don't just mean, because we're gonna follow people in this world, but following in the sense of putting your full faith and trust in, the shepherd and overseer of your soul, entrusting your life, even eternal life too. Are you in? Are you in? If today you hear the voice of Jesus and you, you understand the gospel and you wanna put your faith in Jesus, I just wanna invite you to follow his instructions to get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We, uh, we baptize people right here in this baptistry uh, behind me and it represents really this break to your old life, this death to your old self, and being raised back up into a new life in Christ. And I wanna invite you in. I wanna invite you in to declare your faith in Jesus Christ through baptism. For those of you who, you, you've already done that. You're in, you know you're part of the, the, you know, the 99. You're already in the sheep pen. Would you follow him every day? Would you follow him on his mission to seek and save the lost? And ultimately, would you follow Jesus with everything? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we try our best to follow you and still yet we often get deceived. We follow these false voices, these bad leaders. Lord, would you show us the truth? Would you be the truth? Help us to follow you. God, there's been ways that we've gone astray in our, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. Would you cleanse us as we repent from those things? Would you bring us back into the way everlasting? God, I pray that we would be a church on mission that joins you in your mission to seek and save the lost. Thank you, Jesus, for being that good shepherd that laid down your life for us. We pray this in your powerful name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.